Happy Halloween, everybody. This is the Shelf Shedding Movie Show, and I am the host, Jason Dubray. And for our Halloween episode, we have returning guest Curtis Anderson back. So not only talk about uh, Halloween, but we're going to be talking about the uh, first movies in fairly famous horror movie franchises. And I do want to start off by uh, warning people that there will be some spoilers. Uh, I don't know if there will be some coarse language, but I do like to put that warning just in case it happens. In case some clips I include have some swearing in them. So, Curtis, thank you for returning. You were back in episode three when we talked about movies to do with cars. Uh, How have you been doing? Uh, The world's a little different than when we did the first one. This was, uh, was, what, fall 2019? We did episode Episode three before the uh, sky came crashing down in 2020 and uh i'm gonna be better this time i was a little disappointed i just i was hesitant because i'm not a huge movie guy and i'm always super intimidated i think i talked about this on the on episode three i'm always intimidated around people who know everything about like every director and every writer and i'm just i just kind of watch movies in a through a different lens however you talked about halloween being a seasonal halloween's kind of a lifestyle over in my house so big horror movie fan so happy to be back and be a little more comfortable with the uh with the subject at hand so i don't think you have to worry about spoilers for these movies if people don't know how like nightmare and elm street or the original friday the 13th end they're never going to watch it at this point right so i say we spoil away i'm cool not swearing and uh let's do this i'm so pumped thanks for having me back i i suppose if this ever reached like really young audiences who didn't see these 70s and 80s uh movies and are just like searching for information uh there's still a chance there might be somebody who hasn't seen these but yeah they are pretty uh pretty iconic movies the ones we're, we're going to review friday the 13th saw uh a nightmare on elm street child play the texas chainsaw massacre and we're gonna end off since it's uh, our halloween show with halloween so what do you like to do for halloween what don't i like to do for halloween halloween has always been a big thing to me i always uh i'm not a fan of the word cosplay i don't know why it just seems like the whole act of trying really hard and getting together a good costume once a year for halloween was kind of like hijacked by the whole cosplay thing and that's cool like i get it but every time i show people pictures of my uh extensive halloween costumes that i usually start working on in like july august they're like oh you're into cosplay and i'm like "Eh, no not really i just like having good halloween costumes and going out once a year and just tearing it up and it's usually a uh almost a week-long event in my house between taking the kids out trick-or-treating and you know the saturday before halloween is always the like big party night at the the bars which has slowed down a little bit but i still try to make that like the one night you go out a year and, and pretend you're in your 20s again and uh you know there's all sorts of things going around the city to take the kids to and it's just it's fun to uh just you know jump headfirst into halloween it only happens once a year and this year's halloween of course because uh, I'd normally be asking you what what you're planning for Halloween. Uh, as you probably guessed, uh, listeners, this is we aren't uh, recording this right on Halloween. That'd be really cool. But uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, we're a few weeks off from from Halloween. Um, but this will be. Uh, I'm going to drop this closer to uh, the day that Halloween actually happens. But there are a lot of unknowns about Halloween here for 2020. I think. Yeah, it's, uh, I'm, I'm almost numb to the change at this point in 2020. I mean, you know, on the grand scale of things, not being able to properly 
go through my yearly Halloween traditions isn't as far from the worst thing that's happening this year. So rolling with the punches a little bit. It sounds like trick-or-treating has still been given the green light as long as you're safe. So I'll probably still head out with my five-year-old and wash candy. I don't, I don't know. We're still kind of rolling with the punches, but I don't think going to the bar this year is going to happen. And I don't know. I got, I got no answer. I'm trying not to be depressed about it. I'm trying not to be positive about it. But again, it's uh, Halloween is just one more, <laughs> one more thing on a long list of uh, disappointments 2020 has brought us. But hey, let's you talk know, horror movies. Let's go happy. As, as, as far as as far as Halloween goes, though, has it changed having kids? And sort of seeing Halloween through their eyes? Oh, absolutely. I've got to pass down a lot of traditions and uh, everything kind of hits reset when you have kids, you know? You kind of fall out of what makes Christmas really awesome as you get older and then it just gets, it just completely gets reset when you, uh, when you have kids. And so the same thing as Halloween, you get to, you get to watch the excitement of, you know, them dressing up in a costume and being out long past their bedtime when it's dark and getting candy. Like that's, that's pretty awesome. Let's review us some uh, classic horror movies. I'm so pumped. in here in 1979 when I was born my parents had this idea of naming this name that thought was 
pretty original, pretty unique, and would be great, Jason. So they decided to call me uh, Jason Dubray. When I was one year old, in 1980, a movie came out called Friday the 13th, which changed the meaning of the name Jason forever. And so then I've been living with uh, Jason Voorhees, who is not my namesake, ever since then. So. And see, that makes me jealous. I'd kill to have a Jason name or some sort of tie to a horror movie franchise. That'd be money. There's got to be some evil character in some movie named Kurt or Curtis, you know? I, I don't know. We'd have to look. No, Curtis is such an Alberta name, I found out. There's nothing. You can't get anything in Saskatchewan, like keychains or anything that has Curtis on. Be across the border and everything there. That's like such a common name for some reason. I have no idea. <laughs> Friday the 13th is basically about a bunch of uh, teenagers who have a summer job working at a camp, Camp with the Lake, and typically within uh, the end of Friday the 13th, uh, an unlucky day, usually they are all dead except for usually one person. And that's pretty much uh, the plot here. Uh, I like Friday the 13th, this one, because it has a bit of a twist on that. I came to this movie very late, and when I watched it, it was still in the age where I, I didn't know everything that happened. And so when we reached the climax of the film, I was actually, I was really surprised and genuinely scared with what was actually happening in this particular film version. So I'm probably going to give it some extra points for that. Revisiting it, you know, it has its problems for sure, but I am a fan of Friday the 13th and the Friday the 13th franchise. Uh, how do you feel about Friday the 13th? How can you not be a fan? Uh, just on the surface, this seems like such a just an absolute trailblazing movie that just kind of helped break down the door of the genre and the fact that he went to space and he went to New York City like Jason Voorhees eventually and they just kept making these movies that always made money like that's that's the goal right that's the that's the dream is to make a low budget movie that catches on and you're you're a millionaire for the rest of your life I've loved every single one of these movies the first one is different than the rest and you know the big surprise at the end they're not really playing by the rules <laughs> again spoilers here but like the uh the antagonist turns out to be a brand new character which is really weird that's that's a really weird way to tell a story because the whole time you're thinking okay which one of these people is the killer and then it turns out to be a brand new character and you're like oh okay but uh i don't know if we're jumping ahead or not are you are you wanting to like go through the movie from start to finish or are we just kind of uh generalizing over the whole thing we could we could generalize if there's a specific point you want to make i given the spoiler warning and it's yep 40 years this year 40 year old movie that's incredible. Yeah. The the thing about uh, listening to the commentaries and all the uh, books written about the franchise and the movie is that I found a lot of it is untrue. <laughs> they take credit for coming up with the term Friday the 13th, mm -hmm. like Sean Cunningham and his partners. And it's like, no, man, I've watched old Disney shorts from like the 40s or the 60s and they're talking about Friday the 13th. So that's really bizarre to me. And, uh, you know, they borrowed a lot of this movie from another movie called Bay of Blood which was kind of like the original pick everyone off one by one or one of the originals. So they, uh, they pat themselves on the back a little too much for my taste. If you know, if you're, if you're more than a casual fan and you dig a little deeper, you can debunk a lot of what they say and what they take credit for. But all in all, I can't, I can't hate on this movie in any way. It's so much fun to watch. Horror as a genre itself is probably, I'd say the hardest sell out of any genre. And as a lifetime, lifelong horror fan, it's, it's, something you accept but it's kind of grating you know if you're not willing to give 
to make yourself a little bit vulnerable and get into these movies, it's easy to just like fold your arms and be like, it's stupid. And you're like, oh, okay. And you're like, you know, like a guy attacking you in your dreams is stupid. A girl coming out of a well is stupid. And you're like, okay, if you're not willing to flex that part of your brain, I guess so. But then, you know, they're just like, oh, it's so unrealistic. And you're like, well, you like Lord of the Rings. And they're like, yeah, but that's fantasy. Okay. So as soon as you attach horror to something, I found it's easy to immediately just like invalidate it if you're not, if you're not a fan. And that's something that, you know, has graded me my entire life. But these movies, and especially Friday the 13th Part 1, like, you got to watch it with the crowd. And I think that's how these move. a lot of these movies were intended to be seen. You know, like, these are theater movies or get everyone together for a B-movie night movies. They are so much better when you have friends or an audience to, like, bounce stuff back and forth. You know, you're supposed to talk a little bit through these movies, I find. That really improves the viewing experience. So that's my rant about horror movies. I'll get that out right of the way. And Friday the 13th is completely case in point from every everything I just talked about because you want to yell at the characters you're like you know as stereotypical as it is like don't go out there that's half the fun of these movies is they're baiting you these characters are acting like you wouldn't normally act to get that reaction so you're yelling at this screen and you're yelling at your friends and this is what I do you know like why are you being so stupid but that's that's the design to get that conversation and that that response going I think I, I think I, I would agree with you uh Friday the 13th I mean it became an enormous hit that's the reason it can that it's the pioneer for all this stuff, but it heavily borrows from previous movies. You know, the forced perspective, which we see in a lot of the movies that we're looking at too, it, it had been done before. I think two of the movies we're talking about will claim credit as being the pioneers of the slasher genre, but Black Christmas, a Canadian movie, is actually responsible for that fourth perspective and very much for creating the, the slasher film. And sometimes uh, Black Christmas doesn't get the love that Halloween or Friday the 13th get. Black Christmas, also a classic. Also been remade, right? Like 10 years Twice. ago they made? Yeah. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure why twice, but uh, again, I haven't watched either of the remakes, so I, I can't comment on that. Acting-wise, and again, maybe maybe it's unfair to be talking about acting with these movies, because the whole idea is to give you a thrill, and if it yep. gives you a thrill, then on the whole, it's successful. This last time, I, this, I mean, there, there were certain characters like the kind of the, the crazy guy who warns them about the evil in the camp. Frank? Yeah. Frank? Which, you'll, ne you'll never come back. Yeah, I um, love that guy. Yeah, I love that guy, but I, I've I've never like you know that's so ridiculously over the top. And if you're watching this movie in 1980, it's a little bit of, of a false lead. But you know when we know there's all these movies and we kind of by this point know who the face of the franchise is, we know that this guy is just kind of a, a false lead, and then it kind of just sits there as a oh a ridiculous over the top performance, like a kind of a like a hammy drunk crazy town crazy person, and and then some of the teenagers who aren't actually teenagers are, are not fantastic highlight would be kevin bacon and he's he suffers one of the most memorable deaths in this uh basically the franchise i would say a uh, very good scene there he's yep. decent uh and you sort of see when you look at all of these actors why he is he had a career after this my favorite performance in the movie and some people like this some people don't is betsy palmer playing spoilers jason Voorhees mother feel the same way as i do about the acting oh absolutely but again that's the fun of this is they cast a bunch of non-actors essentially people starting out and sometimes you get gold like kevin bacon how many famous actors 
started out in low-budget horror movies, right? Later in our franchise, Tony Goldwyn shows up and uh, Crispin Glover. Yeah, there's several actors, and we could look at all the franchises and see people. We'll be talking about uh, Nightmare on Elm Street pretty soon, and that like launched the career of Johnny Depp. You know, yep. it's a good starting point. It is. It is. Uh, and some people embrace it, uh, like Jamie Lee Curtis. Uh, some people kind of wish that those movies hadn't happened. But I hate to tell you, folks, that was your start, right? Yeah. <laughs> happen the one thing i noticed about watching these 70s and 80s movies is like the the positive changes society has made and especially in the last like 10 15 years you see a lot of stuff that really knocks you out of the uh out of the movie experience that they probably didn't think twice about when they wrote like case in point the uh girl hitchhiking meets that older guy and uh he says hold on i wrote this down he says are all she's gonna he's gonna hitchhike She's going to hitchhike with him up to camp. And he says to her before she gets in the truck alone, are all the girls up there going to be as pretty? And then he helps her into the truck by putting both his hands on her butt and pushing her up into the cab. And I was just like, oh, man, this is like a giant X by 2020 standards. Like this is this is the textbook of what you don't do, young women. But it was like it, it had nothing to do with the movie. It was just like a completely throwaway scene. Well, like, all right. And if that's just the start. If you're going to be offended by this series and all, like the ratings board throughout the 80s became started to use Friday the 13th as the example of the ultimate evil and they started asking the filmmakers to make ridiculous cuts yep but really like these slasher movies are you know a notch above exploitation films I mean there's a lot of nudity and there's graphic violence and you know uh, I'm not necessarily endorsing that but I'm just sort of saying for for this genre that's what it is and throughout uh, if you look at a 2020 lens on on all of these series, uh, you're probably going to have huge problems with them. Oh, absolutely. But that other, the, uh, the nudity and the uh, graphic violence is 100% by design to, you know, give people what they want and what they expect. I was just talking about a completely throwaway scene that I'm sure wasn't actually put in there as, as part of that design. It was just like, I help her up to the cab and he just like lifts her up by her butt and she's hitchhiking alone with this weird dude. And, you know, I'm sure that was just like, they didn't think twice about that. That was just like an A to B part where in 2020 is like, oh my God, that's the biggest red X. You know, that's like, that's like real horror in a lot of these movies too uh, and Friday the 13th in particular has been uh, accused of being kind of like the an allegory for the Republican message of the 1980s that you know the characters who die in these movies are doing drugs drinking or having sex I found an exception there's one of the first camp counselors had done none of those things at all and, and she just happened to just walk into the wrong place at the wrong time she hadn't even arrived at the camp before she gets killed. Maybe she was a horrible person before that. We don't know. Maybe they had to make edits. <laughs> that, that, that has to be seen, right? And so maybe they didn't completely have their, their rules together. A few other things, if we're, if we're wanting to sort of criticize, you know, it looked like that was going to be one of the main characters and then they kill her off. Yeah. Which um, steal from Psycho. And going all the way to the end, again, sorry folks if you haven't seen this, but there's uh, a bit of a uh, last second scare that happens, which is kind of a dream sequence type of thing, right? And that was stolen pretty much from Carrie as well, which came yep. before it. So these guys were very clever with their marketing. They came up with a brand and, and it was a very successful movie but uh, it does steal from many different sources. Ab absolutely, it does. Yeah, I, I, love, I like the setting of the camp, the, the isolation of the camp. And again, 
I, I don't know, any any sort of uh, horror movie which is set in a cabin or the woods or at a camp, I think is it, it tends to work for some reason. Did they kill a real snake? Yes. You, yes they, they did? did. Yeah, yeah, yeah was, I, I kind of yeah. I kind of assumed there was no way around that. Yeah, no, they, that, they that, that was another moment where I was like, whoa, not cool by 2020. You can't do that, guys. That's, that's what I did a lot, yeah, as, uh, as, as, as crossing the line, yeah, yeah. It was funny this time watching it really critically. I was picking up on all these things that, yeah, like were completely throwaway scenes. I'm like, I'm fine with all the like young men and women getting horribly killed. But I'm like, you can't kill a real snake. What are you guys, you know, what are you yeah. doing? There's some stuff you're just not desensitized to. Yeah, you can kill um, humans, but don't kill animals. The Ned character, man, I wanted him to die. I wanted him to die the whole time. I was just like looking at my watch like why won't someone kill ned <laughs> every scene it was just like he does a somersault for no reason at one point and then he comes out in like a headdress which again not cool by 2020 standards and you're just like this guy yeah pick him first he's just annoying he's just annoying yeah, for sure and I, I know you're not a fan of the Ralph character, but come on, when he appears in the closet and comes out and he's saying he's a God sent him a message and they're all going to die up there. Like, I love that guy. But I was so sad when he got picked off and what was it two or three? Like he finally meets his, meets his doom. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's a, it's a cheap scare, but it's, it works. I mean, yeah. Especially the first time you see it, it, it works. I think his charm wanes with each view, for me, at least. But same with the acting. There are things I just kind of accepted uh, when I first saw it, just trying to get the story. But now, sometimes, sometimes it distracts me a little bit. But I really shouldn't be putting that as a, as a criteria. With, if we're looking at thick best picture winners, maybe. But uh, if we're looking... <laughs> for me, Frank, Frank is kind of like the aliens on the Simpsons uh, Halloween specials. You're just like, he pops up for no reason sometimes and you're so excited to see him well and they they would use flashbacks from the first movie a lot for their exposition they're not subtle in the sequels with their exposition you know uh, yeah uh, character talking and just uh touching on all the plot points or we just see a, a montage of themes from previous uh, movies friday the 13th movies yeah yeah anyway so i think we're positive on friday the 13th did scare me the first time i saw it well that's good yeah, I loved it. I love everything about it. I mean, it has its flaws, but that's part of the charm, right? I It would be a completely different movie if it had the, you know, huge, you know, financial backing and they, I guess it was a time before CGI, but sometimes you have to get really creative when you have no money, right? And that's what these, a lot of these represent to me. And I think that's what endures about horror movies to me. It's like, I don't watch an Avengers movie and be like, that's something I could do. But I watch these old horror movies and I'm like, oh, we could do that, you know? Like, if I had a few talented actor friends and, you know, like, it's it's the spirit, I think, that uh, why kids love YouTube these days, why YouTube is more appealing than basic television is because kids watch this and there's no reason they can't do that. And that's the vibe I get from these old 80s slasher films. It's like, this would be really easy to do. I don't know if there's that much of an audience for it anymore, but back in the day, this must have been so inspiring for like directors and, and actors just kind of starting out. And that's always the vibe I get watching these. It's just like, any, you know, this is possible. Now, I think it's more possible now than it was in 1980. Yeah. We can make those movies on our, our on our phone. Yeah, uh, you know, uh, as opposed to uh, having to like work with film and cut film. Uh, it's it, it is a different thing. But now working at yeah, it, it does look like uh, and, and lots of people are making uh, their independent horror movies, and uh, a lot of them are are, are fun. Yeah, uh, but unfortunately, it's too accessible now, and everybody's making them. That you know, three quarters of them shouldn't, and now it's an exercise of slogging through the crap to find something good. Yeah. I sound like I'm, I'm sound like nothing's gonna to make me happy but uh 
really. It's it's horror movies and the genre has just been such a bizarre journey my whole life. You know, I remember the first time I uh, I got a concussion when I was like 20, and I was, and I was just. I had to sit at home for seven days and I went to family video and I got like the seven days, seven movies, $7. And I think I got like 20, I got like 21 horror movies. I was like, I'm going to do this. I had recently just seen like a, some magazine. I was working at McNally Robinson at the time and I saw like the list of the best 50 horror movies. And I was like, Oh, I kind of remember like, yeah, some of these are familiar. And I was like, that was going to be my, like my uh, goal for the next year is to watch a whole bunch of horror movies. And the very next day I got a concussion. I had to sit at home for seven days and I was like, well, this is a sign. So yeah, I think I powered through 21 classic horror movies in seven days that, that one fine fall, fall week. And I never kind of looked back. Do you want to talk about the ending of Friday the 13th? So do you want to talk about the ending of Friday the 13th before we move on? Uh, Sure. What what do you think about the ending of Friday the Thirteenth? I listened to commentary, and the two actresses, I guess, like really legitimately got beat up. Like they were really throwing each other around on the sand, and it was already well past summer, so the sand was hard. And they were both very bruised and very hurt the next day, but they were pretty proud of the fight scene. And you don't see a lot of older woman, younger woman fight scenes, so I think that really makes it stand out and makes it. I don't want to say fun, but like interesting that they would kind of write that in that would be like the big climax of the movie is spoiler jason's mom and the the last surviving camp counselor and i just i always found that really really exciting it, it is and like several things to go with that like th- there are a lot of people who will claim horror movies are anti-women and ex- exploitative but it is often females who are driving the action of the story as far as like the, the the last girl or the survivor girl goes but in this movie in particular it's two women at the climax of the film and that decapitation is epic yes and that's what i mean yeah there's a couple scenes and like you said kevin bacon's death where you're just like man this is so ambitious for for back in the day yeah yeah so i'm glad you like it some people don't some people like the you know what happened after that with jason in the hockey mask going around and killing people and then something happens where he dies and then the next movie uh they bring him back to life through various reasons and so Corey Corey feldman brings him back to life thank you very much yeah Corey feldman (laughs) one of the oh there's a whole list of uh stars who you know yeah Ooh, uh, every every year I read something about the actresses from one to like 10 or 12 that actually survived. There's always talks about like bringing them back for one movie, like getting all of these survivor actresses playing their original characters and they go and they finally finish off Jason. And I'm like, that's all I want. I would die a happy man. But like they're running out of time because these ladies have got to be like in what their 50s probably by now. And I mean, I'm fine with that. Let's bring these ladies back and let's have one final. All the survivors get together and find finally end jason and i think that's like the only way you can end this franchise and they have to do it it could be 60s too because they would use 20 year olds as teenagers in the movies i'm Um, in let's get the psychic back and let's get you know yeah i love that psychic one some people don't but i oh it's so good i um i think they've run into problems with who owns the franchise and trying to get together and make an agreement because there hasn't been any other friday the 13th since the remake and it's a little bit uh, a little bit stuck. There have been rumors for years that they were going to get another one going, and it just, well, just hasn't worked out. Well, Freddy versus Jason took how long? Like, ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, 20 years, I think, at least. But this franchise will always have an audience, and I think they owe it to the long-term fans to actually try to make that happen. And it's like, they blew through so many writers and, and uh, you know, ideas to get... 
Freddy versus Jason off the ground and they finally did it. So how hard could it be to get these ladies back? Like, come on, do it. I know they're listening. So, Sean Cunningham, make the call. Well, and I don't know if Cunningham has the rights to it anymore, but let, let's just end off because I, I like to do this because it's been mostly positive. Uh, okay. what, is, what is your biggest criticism of Friday the 13th? Jeez, biggest criticism. I really, I can't criticize it. I really can't. I mean, my biggest criticism is that they take credit for stuff they shouldn't take credit for. And as history moves on, it kind of gets the nod as being like one of the first trail breakers, trailblazing slasher movies when it wasn't. And like I said at the beginning, they take a lot of credit for stuff that they completely didn't come up with. They're just straight up lying in commentary and stuff. But I don't know. I, I mean, I kind of want to call them on making you think the antagonist is someone within the group and then introducing a brand new character at the very end. But it's fun. It's different. I, I, I really can't say a lot of negative about it. It I think it's for what it is, it's aged pretty darn well. The jump scare at the end is epic. And I know they didn't create the jump scare, but still, that is one of the most... You can't make a list of iconic horror movie moments and not have Jason emerging from the lake. You just, you can't. That needs to be top five horror movie moments of all time. Someone there? I can hear you. Who is that? Who's in there? So we moved from one trailblazer to another one for the 21st century. And the question when you look into the movie Saw is if you are okay with, I hate this term, but torture porn subgenre of horror, then maybe you're okay with Saw. If you're not okay with it, then you might be fighting this movie and this series and all of the movies that came up after it. Uh, one of my theories with Saw is it is a photocopy of a photocopy. The Silence of the Lambs was enormous. Enormous movie. The rare horror movie to win Best Picture of the Year. And a few years later, Seven came out, which played, did its own thing, but played up on some 
the stuff that came out of the success of Silence of the Lambs. And I think Saw borrows a lot from Seven, but helped. Uh, they did not create. There were movies before this in this torture porn idea, but it became a very successful film. And much like Friday the 13th, there there seemed to be a movie, a sequel that they would kick out uh, every year for, for several years. So two men find themselves chained up in uh, the most disgusting room you've ever seen. Neither of them uh, seem to know each other. They don't know how they got there and what's happening. And then we go through a series of flashbacks and we learn that there is a serial killer named Jigsaw who is taking people through uh, the most awful trials where they likely end up dead, the exception of one person uh, who, who has survived these uh, elaborate traps. And this is all supposed to have some sort of moral significance about really appreciating your life because you didn't appreciate the life that you have beforehand. I don't want to be all hate with Saw. It features a, a pretty good cast considering, and I think you know, probably the highlight in that cast is Danny Glover as this police officer who is desperately trying to solve these jigsaw murders and is uh, put a lot of his attention on this doctor played by uh, Carrie Ells, who is one of the men who's chained in uh, this this room. And we find out more and more information about him as, as we go along. So that's my introduction. What do you think about Saw? You off the top compared it kind of to Silence of the Lambs and Seven and my first Friend saw is no Silence of the Lambs. Oh, no. Is no seven, and I know, I know that was your point. I'm saying it ripped off a, a photocopy of Silence. Yeah, it's like no, I, the worst. I agree. The, the the worst of both of those. Those other two movies I mentioned are classics. Yep. I recommend watching those 5,000 times before I recommend watching Saw. This was only my second viewing of Saw and I was going back on my notes that I left on my phone and I just was like really sad because this was like February 28th I watched Saw and wrote about it. So it was like I had I had no idea what was around the corner in the world to just two weeks later, you know, putting myself back February 28th, just sitting in my basement watching Saw, taking notes, not a care in the world just weird and then like like i said the, the sky came down two weeks later but anyways i there's not enough here for a full movie and that's what really sucks i think this could be the greatest absolute greatest like 20 minute 40 minute horror short ever made as like if you could tell this story with never leaving the room mm -hmm. i think you've got five stars on your hand it's just well, they keep leaving the room i know you have to because it has to be a full movie and they're having flashbacks and everything but like if you could tell the story if you could tighten it up where you never leave the room i think that would be something just absolutely incredible and never really done before if you could make that an engaging 40 minutes where they're figuring stuff out, but they're not getting out of there. I think that was what they originally kind of the interest would be. But every time they, they leave and come back, I'm just like a little less interested. And I feel like the fact that they're stuck together has a little less weight. That was kind of what I thought. I I felt that's what they were trying to do. And it just they just couldn't pull it off. I don't know if they needed more writing for inside the room or or if they just if they just couldn't physically pull off a 90 minute movie of never leaving those four walls. I mean, it's it's the 21st century and I could see the influence of like TV shows would do this when uh, CSI in particular with this style of editing with these flashbacks and look, looking at scenes with a different context and all of this stuff and 
dealing with all their false leads and all that business. I, I'm not sure that if it was a 40-minute uh, movie that was just these two particular actors. Uh, I like Carriels, but he's very typecast. Other than The Princess Bride, he's typically playing a villain. So not for one moment did I think he was an innocent character in, in, in what we were looking at here. And you're missing the best performance in the movie if you only have the scenes in the room, and that's Danny Glover's performance. But That's fair. I, I've also heard that perhaps, similar idea, never leave the room, perhaps it would make a, a, a decent stage play. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's how this story has to be told. And I, again, I'm not the guy that knows all the actors, but I found a lot of the acting really was... I don't know, kind of over the top and uh, like the scene of the dad ignoring his daughter was kind of tough to watch. And it was like, this is taking me in a completely different direction now. You know, like I want to be invested in these people. What's going on? Why are they in the room together? It's like, now I'm sad. Now I'm thinking about how like, you know, I tucked my daughter in early so I could watch this movie and you know, am I failing? Oh my goodness. You know, it just took me completely out of the movie that scene. And it took me a while to get back in. However, that part where he throws the wallet to the other guy and he's like, look at the picture of my family and then he opens up the wallet and there's a picture of his family like tied up one of the greatest moments in a horror movie i've ever seen i will give saw 100 credit for that that i was like standing up off the couch hands on the head when that happened i give them 100 props for pulling that off but that's the kind of thing if you could pull that off constantly then don't leave the room like that is exactly what this movie needed to be or moments like that and they just didn't have enough to make a full movie out of it i mean i i think the point of and Again, you're, you're, you kind of have the parent lens when you're looking at that scene where he's ignoring his daughter. I, I think there's a couple things that they're trying to do in that, and I'm not defending the movie necessarily. They're trying to make Cariel look, again, a little bit more selfish and, and suspicious. Uh, he's one of many people where they're trying to say, oh, could he actually be the killer and behind all of this? The other piece is I, I think if they're trying to get a moral theme out of this is, you know, you need to appreciate your life, and he has a pretty good life and he doesn't appreciate it and that's why he's a target by jigsaw let's go to the end for a moment here if that's all right yeah go ahead again we have all this elaborate stuff and i think it's just all means nothing they're trying to make it seem like the equivalent of the kevin spacey uh speech uh at the end of seven and trying to do the same thing they're moralizing a the actions of a serial killer right and this suggestion that oh he doesn't actually kill people they they kill themselves which is complete nonsense but i was not the least bit surprised i was surprised a little bit in how it gets revealed but i was not the least bit surprised if Throughout the 1990s, you were watching movies on a regular basis. You would hear the voice of Tobin Bell throughout, and Tobin Bell is Jigsaw, right? And and so at no point did I believe that Carriels or they really try hard to make Danny Glover look like he might actually have had a mental breakdown and he's the killer. Um, and that's well acted by Glover, by the way. I mean, that's another notch in his cap. But at no point did I believe any of the false leads that they were giving us. I knew who, which actor was the the big bad in this movie and and then it gets revealed in the last moments and it's you know i it's really kind of a, a dissatisfying ending and it's an ugly ugly movie from beginning to end there isn't a whole lot of fun like the friday the 13th you get offended with it but uh those movies are fun the saw movies aren't a lot of fun like i own all of them believe it or not they really i, I think i just wanted to keep going and see where it would go but 
I, I just like these thing, this thing where you're halfway through this horrible thing, but you just have to complete the story, you know? And yeah, I just, the, the more I watched it, the less I liked it. And I, I had to rewatch it again because there's some time had passed since I'd last watched it. So I watched it the other day to get ready for this. And yeah, it's just, just not a pleasant experience. I agree. I've only seen the first one and I probably would have never watched it again if not for this podcast. I really have no desire to keep going up the up the franchise. It's not, it just doesn't like interest me. I know what you mean. I, I hate the term uh, torture porn as well, but it it kind of applies, you know, like why why are we really watching these movies? You know what I mean? Like they're not fun. And uh, I just had no, no desire to keep going in the old Saw franchise. And you talked before about Friday the 13th, about how people think or people try to claim that these, that, that franchise, like, you know, hates women or, or whatever, because they always cast the, the women as the victims when they act out of quote, you know, feminine character or whatever. But however, in this, I was noticing that like the mom is, she has so many opportunities to like fight back or something. And she's just kind of sitting there letting these events happen when the guy breaks into the house. And I'm just like, Hey lady, like, I think you put up a little bit more of a fight. You know what I mean? She's just kind of like, ah, yeah, okay, well, this, this is happening. And like, I, I felt like that was a really poor portrayal of, <laughs> of a female character. Yeah. yeah well, it, this is male written and male controlled as much as I like, I like James Wan. He's the director. He, he went on to make better movies than this, uh, but this certainly gave him a lot of work. But yeah, I, I, and I, I, I kind of feel bad for the actor. I, I Monica Potter is her name. She's been in a few things. I, I, I kind of cheer for her. I, I like her, but, but yeah, she's not, she's not given a whole lot to do in this movie. No, really. absolutely. I, I, I felt, I felt bad for that, for that character. <laughs> was like... I would say for, as a defense to all of this in this subgenre, it is horror. It is horrifying what we are seeing. So yeah, they, they get that right for sure, but it's not a whole lot of fun. I think I've heard some arguments that Saw 2 is maybe better than Saw and it's the best one in the franchise, but it, it's all very, it just gets more and more convoluted than this one does. Uh, this is probably the clearest narrative beginning to end uh, of all of them. And it's really not that, not that clear. I, I'm a big fan of taking chances with writing and I just feel like you have no reason to cheer for any of these people. Like, you know, Jigsaw has put these people in these horrible situations because he feels they're horrible people. And nine out of 10 times, I kind of agree with them. So I'm just like not invested. I'm like, all right, well, you know, I don't, I'm not really cheering for you to make it. And I'm not really cheering for you to die. I'm just kind of watching this and like, why am I watching this? You know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> like, I, I really like if they, who to cheer for in this movie. And there is one character that's given a little bit of sympathetic treatment, but that's all destroyed in uh, in an upcoming film in a sequel. So it's really, you have to be able to latch on to somebody. There's this survival yeah. typically in the uh, slasher films uh, that you can lean on and uh, mm -hmm. or, or, or or try to cheer for. But when, when you break it down, initially you think you're supposed to cheer for these two guys, but they're both horrible in different ways. Yeah, I never once thought they weren't horrible, like you said. I don't know. The sympathetic characters would obviously be the mom and the daughter, right? Who never really get their comeuppance in any way. It's just, uh, it, the writing is just so, like I said, they started with the ending, which I thought was really strong. I really liked that ending. But by the time you got there, you're like, come on, this guy didn't sneeze. You know what I mean? Like, that's why I think this had to be like a 20 minute short. By the time they got to the end and had the big reveal again, which I really enjoyed, it was just so far like, come on. 
man. Yeah. This guy, this guy didn't hiccup or anything for like what half a day. Come on. Yeah. They tried. They yeah. tried. There, there was a lot there. Just the execution was terrible. I think they, the the director is is way, way, way more talented than uh, the material that he was given. But if you're for given sure. Chance to make a feature length film, uh, you'll you'll take it. So oh yeah, if they if they uh, back that dump truck full of money up to my house, I would have made this movie too in a second. But <laughs> well, yeah, he probably makes more money now than because uh, I'm not sure it was a dump truck uh, full of money at, at that point. But uh, he, they made it fairly cheap and it made a ton of money, so that's why they made whatever they made seven sequels and so living the dream. But anyways, big thumbs down to Saw. I really have nothing else yeah. to say about this. Yeah. It is what it is. I saw it twice. I'll probably never watch it again and. It just missed opportunity is how I would sum up Saw. The kids of Elm Street don't know it yet, but something is coming to get them. There's something out there, isn't there? We just see cuts happen. What did that, Lieutenant? I don't know. There's a coroner got to say. He's in the jaw and puking since he saw it. You're gonna kill me for sure. Did you do it? There was somebody else there. He was locked in a room with a girl who went in alive and came out in a rubber bag. No one knows where it came from or who it will visit next. Nancy, there's something wrong with you. You're imagining things. Nightmare on Elm Street. Do you believe in the boogeyman? No. Whatever you do, don't fall asleep. She's the only one who can stop it. If she fails... I'm your boyfriend now, Nancy. No one will survive. Craven, director of The Hills Have Eyes and Last House on the Left, a new masterpiece in fantasy terror, Nightmare on Elm Street. I really, really like the late, great Wes Craven. He was considered a master of horror. I think probably if you were to break it down, though, his successes would be best characterized as Nightmare on Elm Street, which we're about to review, and years later, the Scream movies. But he kind of, in 1984, uh, picked up and sort of created, in my opinion, the second most famous horror movie franchise in the 80s. I don't know, you could argue which which is more famous, Nightmare on Elm Street or or Friday the 13th, but they're both very, very important. This one had a bit, is basically a, a slasher movie, but it had a lot of creativity to it. Essentially, there's a big cover-up in on Elm Street in the suburban community where a bunch of parents discovered that uh, the caretaker at the school was a pedophile, and they uh, murdered him and and burnt him alive. And now he appears to the children of these people in dreams. And if he kills them in their dream, then they die. And we pick up the story uh, with these teenagers years later in the present time and they all have managed to repress this assault that happened to them when they were kids and that 
started A Nightmare on Elm Street, which produced several sequels as well. Several kind of creative revamps along the way, much like Friday the 13th. I like A Nightmare on Elm Street, but I hesitate to say that I love it, you know? Sometimes I think it just gets itself a little bit more complicated than it needs to. So I appreciate the creativity and the visuals and the practical of what they're doing. And uh, and, and certainly it is... A, it is a very, very worthy film in this uh, celebration of the first in the franchise. What do you think about uh, Nightmare on Elm Street? Uh, my jaw is kind of open right now. First of all, the way you described the movie just put a big smile on my face, but you actually put to words what I have been trying to wrap my head around for this franchise for, for many, many years. It it I don't like it as much as I should. Like I like everything about it, but I it just it doesn't have that connection that Friday the thirteenth franchise does to me. And I think it's because it's like the manifestation of what I talked about with the actual horror genre. It's like they won't let it go, you know, they're kind of like winking at you half the time. So they're like, Yeah, we're making a horror movie that's supposed to be scary, but we know you're not actually gonna be scary because there's a lot of jokes in here they're trying to like ride that line where you know it's okay to watch this and not be scared because you know you're too tough to be scared by horror movies so we're gonna cram a whole bunch of comedy in so you're watching this kind of laughing at it mm -hmm. as well as you know what i mean that's i never really thought about that vibe until you kind of kind of brought that up but that's seriously what's wrong with this movies is they never really try to go that extra mile to make it scary they're always kind of like the uncle nudging you on the on the couch being like oh did you see that <laughs> you know look how look how stupid this is you know you watch this as a lot of people probably watch like pro wrestling you know you can enjoy it but you're never you're never not reminding yourself that it's fake you know i think that's actually the vibe of this franchise now that you've pointed that kind of out to me and i think that's really what what hurts this from from just going next level i enjoy it they're fun there's comedy the deaths are really creative but like you just you can't really lose yourself in it i find you're constantly reminded how you're watching like a fake horror movie constantly like every 10 minutes and yeah, that's uh, that's that's Nightmare on Elm Street. The hand blade thing is amazing. Freddy Krueger is a great antagonist. I feel though, over throughout the years, as they as it ran parallel with Friday the Thirteenth and with Freddy versus Jason, is it kind of split the fans, and you kind of had to decide if you're on Team Jason or Team Freddy, you know? And I think that might hurt this a little bit because I'm definitely on Team Jason, even though I really have nothing against Freddy Krueger. But I feel like just the way the the way things evolved, it kind of made you choose. And uh, yeah, I just feel it's not really as fun as Friday the 13th. You know, they fill it up with unlikable, disposable teenagers. The kids are being punished for what their parents did, which is like, it's, it is, it's a really good premise. Uh, yeah, Johnny Depp, Nancy. I wrote the first kill is completely epic, and I can't really remember off the top of my head. Is that the bed, the bedroom scene? Is that the first kill? Oh, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. That is like super blood spray everywhere. Yeah. It is that, wild. Yeah, and again, I'm, that's like what what I mentioned. It's like, hey, that's awesome and everything, but it's so over the top. You're just kind of remind. It kind of takes you out. It goes a little too far. I I do want to say I, I do think Freddy Krueger as a construction is a more creative horror movie monster. I mean, these were all kind of. It was like a new age, and the the monsters we're talking about in these movies. It was like a, a new set of universal monsters. Uh, even though those came from classic literature, but here they they created a whole series of characters. And, 
And so it was a bit of a golden age for horror in the 80s. I, I'm not sure in this first one that we got as much of Freddy Krueger as the stand-up comedian. I mean, that is definitely a factor where he's he's just killing people and there's these one-liners either before he kills them or after he kills them. That's going to be the case also when, with another film that we're talking about in, in, in franchise when we look at Child's Play where, where we're getting a lot of these quippy one-liners to go with our, our villain, which maybe lessens the scares a bit. I, but I do like it. It is just a horrible idea that like nobody can really control their dreams. And for you to be attacked by this monster in your dreams, and if you get killed in that dream, then then you die, you know, and you're playing in his world. It's There's a lot that works. This was another one, returning to it, I, I guess I had, I don't know if autocorrected is the right word, or I sort of ignored how bad the acting is. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. One of the questions with, with Robert England playing Freddy Krueger, is he a good actor or not? Uh, I don't think... I say he's a good actor. I don't know how you deliver some of these lines. And, you know, again, going back to what I said before, it's like, is he trying to deliver these lines and be super scary and threatening? Or is it like, ha ha, we're all watching a silly movie. Ha ha, don't worry about being scared. And is that his choice or is that how he's directed or the screenplay is sort of pushing? I would probably say directed. I think they were very, very much leaning into the whole, this movie should be viewed at a party instead of like, seriously watching it in the dark by yourself and being scared. I think they're kind of leaning into that way more than most horror franchises. I, I think like he's had a pr- prolific career. He's never been short of work, uh, particularly since uh, Nightmare on Elm Street came out. But if you see him in roles other than Freddy Krueger, and whether he's good as Freddy Krueger or not, I don't know. It's really, really mixed. Uh, and so the whole question is, is he good at playing kind of an over-the-top monster, but that's it? Or can he he play anything else you know and I, I, he's a guy I kind of respected and I cheer for but I in watching this again I you know and I, I, I recently watched one of the uh, sequels I hadn't watched before and you know in many many ways he's almost a supporting figure in some of these films which he's the face of the franchise but they spent so much time with these teenagers who you know most of them get killed during the movie other than the survivor girl who we normally do care about that character if the everybody else is a bit of a jerk i mean and i think in in one of the sequels for sure they kind of hit on the right balance the right formula i'm not sure in nightmare on elm street even though uh it, it was wes craven's movie and the other wes craven was not involved again with it until new nightmare many many years later which was kind of a, a bit of a meta horror movie that was a little bit of a foreshadowing of what scream would be um, wow i that is literally what i was waiting for you to stop talking so i could say about how much i loved new nightmare i thought that was honestly the best of the franchise and i thought he did a pretty good job of acting there as like himself and that was definitely the blueprints of scream and i thought it was actually done better sorry continue (laughs) you're a big fan of that movie i i I like that one i'm not sure i love it which is kind of the same place where i am with the nightmare on elm street uh oddly enough uh yet you know what what wes craven's considered genius in this particular genre so and those are among his his best so a little bit mixed on that i I think the writing style and the Freddy Krueger character is kind of like 
Did you ever see Last House on the Left? Yeah, and that's, that's and that went that went so far past the line where you're like, I need like after you watch Requiem for a Dream, you're like, I need a shower and I need to scrub my eyes, and nothing about that was fun. No one had fun. I never, you know, I don't like this feeling after watching this. So I think maybe it was like, okay, let's let's add some, you know, we'll go in a little different direction here and make it a little more accessible. I want to be a bigger fan than I am. I revisit it and I I, I don't mind watching it. It doesn't feel like a a gross experience like having to rewatch the Saw movies or some some torture porn but I, I think you're right somewhere along the line there, there's some stuff that you know the potential gets a little bit lost later on when they decide to make Freddy Krueger more slapstick a funny man or a slapstick guy as opposed to uh, a, a threatening monster. I think in this movie, and he's just referred to as Fred Krueger, I think they were playing it a little bit more straight in uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah, I've watched all of these movies, all of them, the whole library a couple times, and nothing really sticks to, with me. Like, they all kind of blend together. I can't keep them apart like I do the Friday the 13th franchise. That, the bathtub scene with the claw coming out of the suds, that's good. That is, like, the perfect level right. of uncomfortable and like you know that you're it's it's a scary scene so props to that and I wrote here, and I can't even really remember what's going on, but I said all the traps towards the end kind of reminded me of Home Alone. I put that too. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> yeah. My notes, Home Alone, like traps from Freddy Krueger in the end. Yeah. 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 And again, this was six years before Home Alone came out, but I don't know if Home Alone stole ideas from this movie. Clearly. Uh, I like uh, Heather uh, Langenkamp as Nancy, and I, I also like that's the piece in New Nightmare I like is that they bring her back as herself. Depth's okay. Uh, he certainly got better after this movie happened. And uh, another kind of shout out, Ronnie B Blakely plays uh, the mother and he was amazing in this movie called Nashville, a Robert Altman movie uh, some years before this. I don't think she's particularly amazing here. I, we, it's very difficult to have any sympathy for any of the parents in these movies. Some of the sequels kind of show uh, a, a more caring parent, but not as much in this one. It, I mean, she's, you know, like locking the house down, basically trying Trapping her daughter, not knowing what she's doing, and so, and they never believe. Like it's just the convention of the thing. They never believe the kid who actually knows what's going on. I mean, that's just just how that goes. I think you nailed it when you talked about Johnny Depp, and uh, you said he he got better quote after this movie happened, and that's kind of how I feel about this movie. It happened. Everyone has a birthday they'll always remember. Now, mommy. A good guy! I knew it! <laughs> I, I'm Chucky. He's something, isn't he? This is Andy's. Time for bed, Andy. Good night, baby. Good night, Aunt Maggie. Good night, Chucky. Everyone knows most accidents happen at home. How did that happen? This is no accident. Andy! I'm Detective Mike Norris. Homicide. Andy! Miss Peterson's dead, Miss Barclay. She fell from the kitchen window. Someone's moved in with the Barclay family. And so has terror. 
Chucky. Nobody believes you about Chucky. About child's play. The success of child's play and the entire series will depend on how horrifying you find an evil talking doll. Basically, what happens in this movie is there is a serial killer who has studied some form of voodoo and does this chant just before he's about to die uh, because he's he's been shot by the police and he ends up in a toy store and he possesses a good guy doll which is the latest and most popular toy for uh, for little boys to buy uh, uh, in 1988 uh, and so that uh, that leads us to child's play and so yeah I'll just leave it that what, what do you think about child's play I think child's play hit the tone that Friday the third or that uh, Nightmare on Elm Street tried to hit and they hit it much better chucky still seems scary even though the premise is so ludicrous they managed to pull it off i don't know if it's just because like he swears or he says like horrible things but it it seems to work better i'm like a little more scared of chucky than i am of freddy krueger for whatever reason oh really yeah i i just think it's that idea is more terrifying. I, what, I don't know. What I'm confused by, like, I get the danger for this little boy because he's six years old and he's basically the same height, a little maybe a little bit taller than uh, Chucky is. What I don't understand is a full-sized adult policeman or any of the adults in this movie having trouble, or in this series really, having trouble battling this tiny little doll. And that's that's and as evil as he is, the people who don't believe that he's actually a possessed, the doll possessed with a serial killer, yeah, they're vulnerable because they're just allowing themselves to be victims. But those who know, and towards the end of this movie, there's enough adults to know this, why are they having trouble battling this this little doll? That's, that's very fair. Uh, I think initially, like you said, there's the element of just complete shock and surprise we're like what would you do you know <laughs> if a child's toy was suddenly swearing and coming at you with a knife i mean that would take a few seconds to kind of register and wrap your head around and i've just i love i think what makes this work is that the kid is so young he's not a teenager so you're so sympathetic towards this kid because nobody believes him because he's a child you know and I think that dynamic works really well. But I, I totally get what you're saying. As the movie progresses, it's like, okay, just like punt this thing. But it it does, I feel like this movie does a lot more right than it does wrong. I also think this is probably the hardest to make sequels for. Because just in that vein of like, okay, once you figure out it's just a doll and it's come to life, like you can wrap your head around that pretty easily and come up with a plan of how to stop this thing so i don't know how it 
kept getting sequels. <laughs> well, they shifted gears after the third one, I think, and probably for the best. I think they kind of, much like Nightmare on Elm Street, they embraced the comedic nature of Chucky. They added Jennifer Tilly in as uh, the bride of Chucky. Uh, yeah. Not to review the later ones, but they, they started to do some stuff where he was still a, a horror movie character, still violent, but, but then he's also like a really kind of a darkly funny character and uh I, brad dorf does such a wonderful job here as the voice of chucky he he has that you know short sequence where uh, he gets to be human charles lee ray is the serial killer that he plays and he's 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 good in that scene and then he uh then he has to most of his performance for the rest of the franchise is, is purely voice work but it, it works really really well and i'm not sure if they had somebody else playing that role it would have been as good. Brad Dorf is a really, really good actor. I mean, he's mostly focused on the horror genre, but he was up for an Academy Award for uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Oddly enough, Chris Sarandon plays uh, the main cop in this movie, and he was also up against Brad Dorf for Best Supporting Actor in the same year. Uh, I just reviewed Dog Day Afternoon, where Chris Sarandon uh, was in that movie too. So they both had come from, you know, a more. I'm going to upset people by saying a more serious, but they, they come from the world of dramatic cinema uh, into genre, which is normally the reverse of what people do. And I think they have both have great acting chops and they're able to take this premise seriously and elevate it maybe more than if it had been in the hands of uh, maybe lesser filmmakers and a weaker cast. Yeah, yeah. no, I was, a, I was a big fan of Child's Play. It didn't, I I haven't watched these movies a ton, but I've definitely seen them. And uh, I, I was, I I don't want to say pleasantly surprised because I remember liking him the first time, but I think the only thing that really hurt this is it just aged, right? It, 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 I think Child's Play aged a little poorer than the others. I think a really well done reboot could easily be done in today's day and age. There was a remake that uh, was released last year. I haven't seen it yet. So. Really? I had no idea. Yeah, Crazy. so if you was it? Did it have a good, uh, good reception or? I didn't hear much about it to be honest. Yeah. I'm going to guess no if it didn't even pop up on my radar <laughs> at all. At the end, the smoke alarm doesn't go off, so I feel like the real villain was the slum landlord. Other than that, um, I really enjoyed when they were going through the toy store just because it was like 80s and I was totally taken out of the moment. I was like, oh my god, I think that's like mask toys. I was just like pausing and trying to see because they clearly just were filming that in a real toy store in the 80s. Wow. And I was just absolutely in my like element. I was like, oh my God, mask toys on the shelf. Like where are the G.I. Joes? Show me some Transformers. And they, they weren't worried about product placement at that time. No. Now, like all of those are owned by big corporations and there'd be legalities in if there's a, a glimpse of a Barbie in a Chucky movie, you know, I, I'm not I'm not sure about it aging i actually find this to this movie looks better than than some of the other ones that we've been talking about i don't know and i also think like these were again practical effects just amazing work as far as the movement and the creation of Chucky. I mean, that was very innovative stuff. And so I think there was, I, I still think it works as if I, if I show it to uh, audiences in 2020 and I mean, it's maybe it's a little bit longer than the usual uh, hour and a half hour, 20 minute horror movie that's released now. But I, you know, I want to defend it on, on that front. So I started off a little bit negative on the premise, but I do, for some reason, like these movies as well. And I have an easier time revisiting a, a Chucky movie than a Nightmare on Elm Street movie again. I, 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 I Agreed. 
why that is, but it just seems to be the case. Even when they're not particularly good uh, Child's Play sequels, I, I, I have to sort of build up to watching a, a, a Nightmare on Elm Street sequel. Friday the 13th, I can just throw those in anytime, and, you know, it's almost uh, mindless in some ways. See, Friday the 13th, though, talking about this this one aging, Friday the 13th has its own, like, horror movie style of being shot with, like, you know, the grainy, the shaky cam, the third-person perspective, Nightmare on Elm Street, kind of both, but Child's Play just felt like such a 80s production, just in, like, the shots, and, you know, it was, like, that's what all the shows looked like in the 80s. It just gave me like, okay, I'm watching something from the 80s. Like the 80s movies we watched last time just had the similar look and the pans and the tilts. And it's like, this is how you made television back in the day. And that's why I was like, okay, yeah, that's that. I was kind of distracted by that. I suppose I like, so. Some of the fashions for sure have aged. But I, I don't know, it's funny that it, it didn't bother me or distract me. It actually distracts me a little bit more in Friday the 13th and in uh, Nightmare on Elm Street than it did really? in... Oh, yeah, I'd that's fascinating. Child's Play, I might argue, even though we just uh, basically ripped it apart, Saw, those ones look to me to be the most, and I would probably argue Halloween as well, the most professionally made. Most polished, uh, for sure. Yeah, and the other three don't look quite that way, even though they've, they've had huge impact on uh, on on the genre. And the, the later Child's Play films or Chucky movies, they made it a little bit more Chucky, much like they did with Friday the 13th. They turn them into Jason movies instead yep. of Friday the movies. They look different than the originals do, for sure. Um, yeah, I'm actually really interested in the reboot. I think it has great potential with, uh, I mean, that's the kind of thing where you actually want to use current technology and camera tricks and works to make it better. I don't know if it's going to be scary or slapsticky, but uh, I'm definitely interested in it. I know nothing about it. I, I don't know for sure. It looks pretty straight-laced. Like, a lot of these remakes are not messing around. I mean, they seem yeah. pretty, I don't think the wing like we didn't get into the remake of, of Nightmare on Elm Street, but there's Freddy is not is not there's nothing funny about him in that particular remake here. So I, I'm, I'm guessing that this Child's Play is like that, but I'm going to have to uh, see it at some point just uh, just for comparison's sake. This was my uh, this was my surprise. I have in my hands right now a Corky doll. Oh, do you? I have Corky, and I was running out this morning to get batteries. So let's uh, let's pop in. What do you want? What do you want to listen to first? Let's see how this sounds. Do you want Corky, you're that. That's that's cassette tapes. Do you want Corky? Let's play outdoors, or just Corky? Corky, let's play outdoors. All right, let's see what we got here. I hope this picks up. I'll crank it. Of course, Corky was, you know, the inspiration behind the good guy. Yeah, I did. And that sounds so much like the good guy doll. They did a nice job too in Child's Play with the, the commercials, the animated yep. commercials. 
animated TV show and the commercials. That was so much the eighties and marketing these toys. And then it, yeah, it, it did bring me back to, to those days. And now the way they, they market toys, I think is quite different than, than how they uh, did it back then. So yeah, so I'm a fan. I wouldn't discourage people from seeing child's play again, if they're fans of the horror genre. Yeah. I know. And I did want to say too, the part where the batteries fall out of the box, that oh, was like, the, that was like the saw moment with the, uh, with the picture. Like that was so well done. That is. Yeah. That, that moment was like, okay, now she believes what's happening. That was a big turning point. What happened was true. The most bizarre and brutal series of crimes in America. as real, just as close. Just as terrifying as being there. Even if one of them survives, what will be left? The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. After you stop screaming, you'll start talking about it. The oldest of the movies we're talking about is 1974's The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, co-written by and directed by Toby Hooper. And this is a movie, I often say that the 1970s were the best decade for film and the best decade for horror. This movie, much like you mentioned House on the Left and, and some films like that, looks so, are horrifying, but looks so grainy and look like B-movies. But that doesn't necessarily work against it. I mean, I always have a very uncomfortable feeling watching the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Like, it really kind of gets to me, uh, and it's probably effective in that way. Yet, it really isn't as the body count and it isn't necessarily as violent as some of the other movies we're talking about yet much like saw but not to that extreme it, it leaves me feeling bad feel feel kind of dirty after after watching it basically a, a bunch of graves in this town in texas have been destroyed and a, a group of hippies in a hippie van go to stop by to uh to check on a relative for the one girl's relative had a grave that uh had been had been dug up they pick up a hitchhiker which i never recommend but we have to remember this is 1974 who is uh incredibly creepy they end up kicking that person out of their hippie van and then they go by a house they stop by a gas station they encounter a a character and then a family who are totally totally screwed up to say the least 
and people start dying. You had mentioned in Friday the 13th how annoying that one character is. There is a character in this movie who I, I don't quite know what they were going for, but Franklin, I don't know if we're supposed to, what, feel sorry for him or what. He's he's a character who's in a wheelchair, but he actually acts like a toddler throughout the movie. He's annoying to all of the characters in the hippie van. He's annoying when he gets out of the hippie van and he's annoying through the entire movie and it is one of those things where I am actually happy when he dies and I feel bad that I'm happy when he dies but I'm happy when he dies because then he is out of the movie and he doesn't have to annoy me and distract me from this movie anymore and that's just one of the problems with the film so I am coming in a place where I'm very mixed I recognize that this is a horror movie and uh, I think on the whole it is a classic but I don't have Again, the, the good vibes I have with Friday the 13th and Child's Play and Nightmare on Elm Street. Do you have a different perspective on the Texas Chainsaw Massacre? This was definitely one of the 21 movies I saw back in the day when I had a concussion. Yep. So this was mixed in with all the, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street, Friday the 13th, Halloween, all the stuff we're talking about today. Yep. And I remember just like kind of shrugging my shoulders and I'm like, this is uncomfortable. I'm not having fun. This just looks grainy and I saw the remake in the mid-2000s. And I remember people not liking that one because it went so dark and I really had nothing to compare it to because I barely remembered the original and it was just like, nothing about these movies are fun. You know, kind of what I was saying about Saw, like, why would you watch these? And man, I got to say thank you. Watching this movie again 20 years later or whatever, this jumped so far up my list of my favorite horror movies. Oh, cool. This one blew me away and i don't know why i didn't see it coming you know each page of notes i wrote for the other movies were probably about half three quarters of a page to jot notes i wrote two and a half pages on texas chainsaw massacre i this just kicked me right between the eyes and again this is only the second time watching this this hit all my notes as a horror movie fan i don't know how this slipped through my fingers the first time but big fan of this this was easily my highest rated movie out of the six cool yeah I'm glad to hear that. We'll be in different places for sure on this one. But I, I, it does go along to my, my new rule uh, is that sometimes at different points in your life, if you revisit a movie at another stage of your life, you're going to have a totally different perspective. It could be diminishing returns, something you loved when you were when you were a teenager and you see it now, it's like, oh, wow, why did I think this was the greatest thing? Or something that you just missed at that time and you just have more life experience and more perspective, you could take a look at it and go, actually, I misjudged this movie. So it's kind of cool to hear you say that. I just thought, like, every shot is just red and sweaty. This whole movie is just uncomfortable. It is. You're just uncomfortable watching every scene. They do such a good job of showing that with just the way it's shot, level and what you're actually looking at. And, like, they pick up that hitchhiker. And they're trying to act like, okay, this is, you know, when you're in those situations, like, obviously not dire like that, but you're like, this is fine. This is fine. And then it escalates a little more and he, like, cuts himself. And you're like, okay, super weird, but, like, he's, he's not going to kill us. Like, we're still good. And just, I don't know, as an adult, I'm just so familiar with that energy where you're like, you know, you, you have that subconscious, like, fight or flight. And you're like, okay, we should really kick this guy out. But, like, it's cool. We don't want to be rude. And I, I felt like that scene just set the tone so well. And I felt like that's actually not far off how you would act in that scene where you like you picked up this weird dude and you're just waiting for him to finally cross that line 
line where you have like permission to kick him out and not look like you're overreacting. I was just sucked in from that moment for the rest of the movie. And I think they did the right thing by kicking him out, but then of oh, course, sure. grizzly moment, he marks the van, right? Yep. The blood, uh, which is significant. And I, I feel like if they'd made the other choice and they're like, okay, let's just ride it out with this guy and drop him off, drop him off where he wants to be dropped off. Right then and there, people could have died too. So I think they were they were trapped the moment that they let that guy in their van. And just so like he wants to be paid for the picture, and it's just so uncomfortable and not in like a you're gonna die way, just like so situationally uncomfortable. I Loved think that the, the writing is better. I don't think that performance is particularly good, but I, I, I do think the writing of that character is quite good. The other I made similar notes about Franklin where you're like, it's weird that the person in the wheelchair is not the sympathetic character in a horror movie. Like, you can't wait for this guy to die. And I didn't know if that was, like, sad or empowering, you know? Yeah, I mean, maybe maybe we shouldn't be thinking, okay, well, we're supposed to feel sympathy for characters who are in wheelchairs if they are if they're giant, annoying babies. I thought that was that was almost progressive. If I could use the word, I was like, good, I, I want this guy to die. Yeah, I I think that was the only case necessarily where I, I I'm not sure you said like you don't really care about a lot of the teenagers in the Nightmare on Elm Street and and their sequels, and you're fine with them getting killed off. You know, I, I'm not sure I cared a whole lot about these characters. I mean, there's the, again, the survivor girl, who's the one I'm supposed to care about. And she, and this was legit. Like, I think that young young woman was put through hell in, in the, like, those scenes, in, like, the dinner scene and everything yep. that happened after it. Like, there That's was well, well, well documented. No acting involved with that. And, uh, again, Toby Hooper, where he, like, I've criticized Michael Bay, for exploiting actors, especially when they're supposed to be teenage characters. Um, Toby Hooper does, like, he has some shots where very strategically placed to exploit some of the some of these young women in their Daisy Duke shorts and stuff. So it's, it, it's again, I maybe I shouldn't get offended because if I was, if I'm defending Friday the 13th, then, you know, I, I can't be a hypocrite about that, I, I, I guess. But I noticed it more I'm, in the remake, to be honest. So much of the remake was yeah. Jessica Biel walking through a field in her tight pants. Yeah, but I mean, the, the first girl who enters the house and as she's walking up, there's a completely unnecessary low-angle shot. You know, I mean, it, I don't know what, what purpose it, it, it was serving other than, I guess, stimulation for the audience. And again, it's mid-70s, so I guess we, we've had exploitation movies, have been well-established, so we, we should be used to that. Compliments I want to pay to the movie, because I'm coming off a little bit mixed and maybe a little bit hard in some places. The opening is outstanding. Of course, this is based on, a, similarly to Psycho, based on a, a, a real serial killer, I believe Ed Gainey is the name. Mr. Ed Gain, yep. Uh, Ed Gainey is the real inspiration for Leatherface and the opening narration by again not not a household name anymore unfortunately but if you watch Night Court in the 1980s John Lara Cat who is actually a very very good actor I had the great pleasure of seeing him on stage in New York one time it, it's fantastic it feels like the introduction to, to some great uh, true crime documentary that beginning is, is creepy the music is creepy it's a great setup 
and the climax of the film even though it, it is big and like that dance with the chainsaw is is wild but there is real genuine danger at the end and that's that's beautifully done and going back to that that kind of the the family the torture scene that happens that is a very gruesome uncomfortable sequence and so i have to give points to the movie for that i mean i was horrified by it not necessarily scared but horrified by it 100 100 percent whereas i I would say you know the the only movie on this list that's scared me was friday the 13th but texas chainsaw massacre again it's not one i i, I want to put put in because i want to relax on a friday night it, it's one where i do have to sort of get my myself ready to watch it it also looks kind of cheap you know and and maybe that's okay is a i think that the fact that it looks cheap kind of makes it work i think they really lead into that and uh I think this one aged incredibly well. They really present the deaths so matter-of-factly compared to the others in this genre. They're not like close-up, exaggerated, multiple angle. It's just like, you know, he hangs around the hook and then it's just kind of like happening. You know what I mean? Like he's doing other stuff after that. And like when she pops out of the freezer, he just walks over and starts clubbing her back down and closes the freezer. And you're just like, what, what am I watching? They don't make it try to like, they don't try to make it fun. Like the other horror movies do where you're like, Hey, here's what you came to see. Here's, you know, the guy on the ceiling in the, in the bedroom, just gushing way more blood than anybody would ever have in their, in their body. This is just like, it's so downplayed in this, the kills. And I, I thought that was really effective. Psychologically, maybe that works better. I, I kind of disagree. I think it has aged. It looks very late almost even late 60s in, in, in nature. It looks like you have a, a bigger budget Roger Corman type of movie. It's better material than that, but it's not... The, the remake looks sharp. It looks like cinema. And and this one looks like, and I appreciate it, it looks like it, and a lot of the ones we're talking about are very much independent filmmakers that are getting together and making this film. And I think that's what this was, and it just it just blew up. It became a bigger film that maybe they, they knew that they were going to be making. And again, they go back to the young comfortable car ride where uh you know she's just sitting by herself later on in the movie and then she gets put in the sack and like just there's again the the it's it's a subtle kind of horror there's not like oh giant slash it's just it's uncomfortable like i said i can't do this movie justice for some reason right now just it's just uncomfortable that's really the only word you could just keep saying every scene you're just like oh my god what's next what's next there's never that huge giant death scene that makes you go whoa i'm watching a horror movie i'm having fun hey everybody did you see that i'm gonna make a joke you're just like oh my god how much more deprived can this go and the answer is more always more it's extreme but it's maybe a little bit more real even though the acting sort of takes me out of it for most the highlight for me is is john larroquette's voiceover narration at the beginning as far as acting which is it's kind of tough sorry i could be wrong here and i'm sure somebody will correct me would this have been one of the first horror movies that used a gas station and then there was a lot more going on than just uh, at that gas station because that became a bit of a, a cliche later on which of course cabin in the woods uh used effectively but i i feel like this was one of the first movies to do that probably that's that's more of a question for <laughs> for hardcore movie fans but uh, yeah probably i'm just going through my pages and pages of notes here the guy gets out and starts like poking poking her with a stick <laughs> it's just yeah. like again just so uncomfortable it's not she's not in pain it's just like oh you're just waiting for 
you're constantly waiting for the bad thing to happen. It's like the HBO's Oz did this effectively years later, where you're just like, you're watching stuff that's not bad, but you're just, you know, any second that other shoe's going to drop and you're just constantly waiting for it and yeah. waiting for it. The slow burn. I like that. In and it's, it's, it's not done effectively anymore. I, I haven't seen anything that has put me on edge like this in years. I mean, you make an argument for a, maybe a quiet place. Haven't perhaps, seen it. Perhaps get out as well. Those, those, those would be two that I would think of. That table scene though. My God. That table scene is that just is something right. else. You know, and again, she saves herself. One, one more question again. I, I, I may be like thinking about this a little bit too much. The, the boy with Down syndrome who washes the windows at the gas station. What happens to him after that scene? Like I thought he was part of the family. You know, I don't know. I never thought about that. This time around, I sort of accepted it, whatever. And, you know, I, I don't, you know, there isn't much of a town anywhere around there. Like uh, maybe, maybe he was a victim of editing. It could be. Could be a victim of editing. So anyway, yeah, I feel like I'd be really picky there. They had been shooting that last scene apparently for like two days or something ridiculous. Like, and that shot where they're driving away and she's in the back of the pickup and she's almost like laughing is like actually her having like a legitimate mental breakdown. Because I think the story goes, she thought they would have to do that scene again for some reason. And she's just like, I can't. Like, it's it's almost fine to her. She's so she's so just, like, broken mentally. And that's the, like you said, that's not acting. And that's, obviously, you don't want to make movies like that anymore where you terrorize your actresses to that point. But there's definitely some realism in this movie that puts it over the puts it over the finish line for me a hundred percent. I don't know if that's says more about me or the movie, but you're not you're not getting that from anything in twenty twenty. And I, I don't think they would be making a movie in that way anymore. I mean as far oh. as rights of actors and, and, and everything like yeah, they, they really push the limits. Kinda like the snake being killed in Friday the thirteenth. Yeah, that would never be allowed to happen. The movie would be would never be released. Lastly, that scene where she's tied up at the table and she is just screaming, and they're trying to get the hammer in the grandpa's hand, and he keeps dropping it. Oh my god! I felt like that scene was about two days. Like yeah. it just didn't end, and it was just these long shots, and I was oh, it was it was such a win for me. To me, that's the the reaction a good horror movie should give me. And this was just, I was not ready for it. I was thought this was just going to be like another Saw kind of torture porn because that's kind of the way I remember it. But this just hit all my notes. Absolutely. As a horror fan, I have no idea how this slipped through my fingers for so long. But I thank, I have you to thank for bringing this back to me. Well, I, I'm happy that you had a much more positive experience with this. I, I feel like maybe I'm fighting the movie a little bit. I, I do think if you are a horror movie fan, I don't recommend this movie to everybody. This is not a fun horror movie. There's a low body count, but you're just made to feel uncomfortable. So if you're okay with that, I I would recommend the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Exploring uncharted territory. I'm totally charted. Just talk. Sure, sure. Mm -hmm. The only reason she babysits Halloween.
came home. We're moving on to my favorite movie of this list, Halloween. It's considered the most successful independent film of all time, directed by the great John Carpenter. And it concerns a little boy named Michael Myers who one Halloween sees his sister making out her boyfriend. Then he goes out to the room and kills his sister and then is institutionalized uh, for many years. Then he manages to escape one, uh, one Halloween and he heads to Haddonfield, Illinois, which was the town that he lived in to enact some form of revenge. He's pursued by his psychiatrist, played by Donald Pleasance, who is trying to get people alerted to the fact that this is an insanely dangerous man now, almost the, the devil in human form. And we we have the same group of teenagers, but at the heart of this, we have Jamie Lee Curtis in her very first film playing Laurie, and she and her friends get targeted by this young man who is now this horror movie monster, Michael Myers. Again, I came to Halloween a little bit later in life, and of all of the horror franchises we're talking about, I, for whatever reason, I return to Halloween more than any of the others. And in particular, this film version, uh, even though it has been remade by Rob Zombie, it's on a different track now with uh, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis being older. And I, I was having some trouble actually this time around, even though I know there are criticisms for this film, coming up with some more negative stuff to say about it. What I could come up with is there's a lot of improbabilities, but there are improbabilities in every single one of the movies we're talking about. And there's a really, really weird line. So uh, one of Jamie Lee Curtis's friends is this kind of this blonde cheerleader, and she's gotten together with her boyfriend. The boyfriend talks about, because they're, they're sneaking out to to go to the where this one girl is being babysat by their other friend, uh, and they're hoping to go to the house to have sex. And he says, oh, I'm going to rip your clothes off. And then he indicates, and then I'm going to rip off the clothes of the little girl who's being babysat. I don't know if you've marked that line. I don't know what the purpose of that one is. So those I, are the negatives I have. I did good. not catch that line. Oh, my God. Yeah. That Back, like somebody pointed it out to me, and so I guess I was listening for it this time. And I was like, What I, I, I'm guessing it was meant as a joke, but what a bizarre thing to say because, like, the, the little kids in this movie are little kids. This isn't like, Yeah, that's that's bad to me, anyway. And you know, uh, again, it goes to some choice that Deborah Hill and John Carpenter made in writing the movie. But all that said, I think it's a, a solid horror movie, it doesn't come up with uh, an easy ending the way that uh, some of these other ones, well, I'm not sure they're easy endings, but they don't try to wrap everything up in a neat bow. The movie ends when it ends. It's beautifully done. It It's not, again, not a high body count like in Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but it has an impact, and I think it is a fun horror movie, but it has the balance of taking itself seriously. So I'm an enormous fan of Halloween. How do you feel about Halloween? It's impossible to not be a fan of Halloween. Even people who don't like horror movies have to respect Halloween. Greatest horror movie intro of all time, that tracking shot that turns out to be the little boy. Oh, phenomenal. Not only, again, black, 
Black Christmas did that before Halloween did. So I just want to okay. say that as iconic as that opening is, and it, what what a great last image yep. of poor boy in his Halloween costume holding this knife, and the parents arrive home is like just sucks you in. You know, you talked about how poorly the uh, actors and actresses, the teenagers from the other movies are. I felt this one may have been the worst. <laughs> I mean, I made a note, a funny note that's like, were they trying to promote Jamie Lee Curtis to the point where they hired like everyone else to be completely incompetent? So she stood out even more as like an absolute talented actress. Because I felt like everyone else in this movie or all the other kids her age are just like, just not hitting the mark. I, that would I, be my my only criticism. I, I think it, it was a it was a super independent movie. The big grab they got was Donald Pleasance. Jamie Lee Curtis, they found. But every Everybody else, I think, was personal friends of John Carpenter. There's like this the Annie character who is uh, Jamie Lee Curtis's best friend, the uh, the brunette babysitter. The the actor's name is Nancy Loomis. What is the name of Donald Pleasance's character? Loomis, right? Mm-hmm. There, there, there's little things like that, kind of throughout, where there are hints that these were friends of his, but maybe not necessarily great actors. I would agree with you. That's another criticism: is that other than Jamie Lee Curtis, the teenagers, again, I'm buying them more as 20-somethings, but uh, the teenagers in the movie are not fantastic actors. But at the heart of it, I mean, Donald Pleasance, even though he is hysterical and he makes big choices, and this gets more and more cartoonish as we go far- farther down into the series but i think he he does give an actual like if you are know that there's somebody who's going to kill an entire town you're going to be a little bit on edge too particularly when people aren't taking you seriously and jamie lee curtis is so natural and so good in this movie and i'm glad it led to the career that she's had i mean and i i, I love that she still respects her roots that she comes keeps coming yeah. back to these movies but she doesn't have to i think that's a testament to the franchise and to her as a human being i think she's there's a Halloween movie that would, would have come out this month if it hadn't been for COVID and is delayed till next year. And I, I think she's probably in it again. So she, she keeps coming back to it, even when one of the sequels, which will be a conversation for another day, completely and totally undoes all that has been done in the Halloween movies. It's like a constant revamp with these series where they, they get dig themselves into a corner and then they just kind of pick it up and just try again. But yeah, some... When we talked about some of the other actors who kind of apologize for their roots, Jamie Lee Curtis has embraces the fact that she was a, a, a scream queen and uh, has continued on, on top of doing other films, a lot of comedy movies and, and that uh, action movies over the years. But it's interesting to see her at this point in her career because she, at that point, she's not the Jamie Lee Curtis that we know. And like I teach high school and I know teenage girls who are exactly like this character and I, all the insecurities and being super smart and not sure if you should be showing how smart you are. I, it's a beautiful textured performance in the middle of a genre film, like which is, is rare to get. So that's a big part of it. Plus, I just like the story and there's something about Michael Myers I like as a villain. Yeah. So I, I again, maybe I'm maybe I'm keeping too much praise on this movie, but I, I really love Halloween. I feel throughout this whole discussion, I got to go back and rewatch the original Black Christmas again because I like I liked it and I kind of remember it, but I didn't pick up on that being the original of a lot of these things we've talked about, which makes me really sad as a horror movie fan. <laughs> I should I should know this stuff, uh, but. 
I there's you can't fault Halloween. Like I this was the one I wrote the least about. I have like four lines because it's not a lot happens in it, and that's the beauty of it. You know, it's it pulled off what what Saw couldn't. Mm-hmm. Even you know, it's it's during the day and it's scary, and yeah. you're you're waiting for it to happen, and it happens at a perfect pace, and the teenagers don't really act too out of character. It's you know, their actions and their decisions are somewhat believable and you you just can't fault really much of halloween at all it's a it kind of pleases everyone and that's why it's so popular you're not you you can show it to people that hate horror and they're not going to cross their arms and completely discredit this movie i know some people who would but again like if you don't like this genre uh you don't have to watch movies in this genre but if you don't like this genre i feel like this is the only one of the six that has a chance of winning you over if you've already decided you're not gonna lose yourself and allow yourself to be you know suspend disbelief and believe in these characters and possibly be a little frightened or uneasy this is the only one that has a chance of being redeemable in non-horror movie fans eyes yeah I, I would agree with you i mean perhaps child's play but but yeah no I, I i think halloween is and maybe it's the most mainstream uh and i think you'd really have to credit john carpenter i mean we have the two two of the big ones here we have wes craven and john carpenter on the show i think if i put them side by side and if i put the career side by side knowing what i know now john carpenter wins every time was the, i didn't hear the dress line but uh, and again, this is probably like the fifth or sixth time I've seen this movie. Was was he eating dogs? Was that a thing? I kind of was taking notes, and then there was a part where they found like dog carcasses, and I was like, "What? What? What was that?" Well, he killed the dog. Yeah, um, was he was he eating it though? Is that what they were going for? I, I I didn't take the time to rewind it, but I I just made a note of that. I think I was planning on going back. I'd have to look back at that scene to if it appears that he did. I got the impression he just hacked the dog to death. But, okay, but yeah, that would be that would. Be, Interesting. Yeah, no, but I, I thought that was just like them trying to connect dots you don't usually ask in horror movies is like, what has this guy been eating, you know? Because so many times when you really take a step back, and I think that's why people struggle with this genre, it's like, you know, did Jason go to the bathroom? Like, you know, where, where did these... Yeah. Yeah. You know, what have these what have these people been eating? So I thought that might have been like a little nod to that of like, wow, he's been eating stray dogs. That's how he's doing this. He's not going to Wendy's. Well, I mean, you, if you if you choose to fight with it, I mean, you, you can fight with action movies and comedies and any genre film uh, if you want to. I, I know the big criticism of this. I think it's not a great explanation, but they explain it well enough. Uh, one of the big criticisms is how did Michael Myers learn how to drive a car? He's institutionalized as a child and then he escapes as this man. Uh, all these years later and, and, and how does he how was how he able to drive out of there but Loomis has this line where he says well, I don't know somebody around here must have taught him that's as good as what you need for this particular film I mean if agreed I picked up on that and that's why I thought it was just like okay what else are you coming after that he hasn't eaten well look he's been eating stray dogs okay so shut up and enjoy the movie okay sure, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know I, I, I'm not watching a TV show like 24 with Kiefer Sutherland thinking when does he go to the bathroom for our period I'm I'm not thinking about when I'm watching Schindler's List oh when does Oscar Schindler have time for a bathroom break I mean if, if you're going to be doing that then you probably can't watch anything you know? that's fair but again these are these are critiques I find only come up in this genre yeah people feel the need to be extra hard on horror movies again yeah i I feel like i'm just gonna keep gushing about halloween i I stated in an earlier episode my favorite horror movie of all time is the exorcist i don't think any of these movies quite reach that level but for most of these are supposed to be big franchise genre classics and to some 
degree should be fun as well. And I, I think Halloween's a lot of fun and it, it works really well. It's one of my favorite horror movies of all time. Hi, I like to hug. I have no friends. No one will play with me. Uh-oh. There's a friend in me. Hey, cheer up. Who are you? I'm a good guy. I just come from the good guy clubhouse. And I'll be your friend to the end. You will? You mean you'll be my friend now? Sure I will. Curtis Anderson, thank you again for looking at these six pioneers in uh, horror genre, and thank you for being my uh, guest for the Halloween episode. I can't, I can't wait to listen to this and hate everything I said and the way I sound. I think that's human nature. We're all, we're all in the same boat there. I editing the show, I get to a point where I'm like, won't you shut up, Jason? And <laughs> Uh, I I am so excited to rewatch Black Christmas with the upcoming Christmas season. This is going to be the uh, perfect marriage. Again, yeah. I had mentioned that I'd seen it, but I didn't hold it in as high of regard as what you as what you've explained and influential it was. Maybe I'm overselling it. I don't know. It'll be interesting to talk to you after you've seen it. But I watched it two months ago. This is really really good. I mean, I'd heard yeah. of it. Know a whole lot about it, and it was on on one viewing now. So as opposed to however many viewings of Halloween and Friday the Thirteenth. So starting off with Friday Thirteenth Part One, how many points did you give it? Oh, come on, how can you not give it thirteen? I know that's so cliche, but I gave it thirteen. I, I thought of that. That's so good. Oh, uh, I didn't. It's do that. it's oh. it's a little high, but. I, you know, it's, it's good. It's, it, it kicked off everything I love about the horror genre. There's definitely been better Friday the 13th movies made, but like I said, that scene of Jason coming out of the water, you can't put that in anywhere but your top five, maybe top three horror movie moments of all time. And that's why it got a little higher than it probably should have with the 13th. Oh, that's a hard three, my friend. I, I had it higher originally, but then as I wanted to bump up other movies, it just kept taking away points from Saw. And there's just, there's not a lot there. I'm sorry. As I mentioned, it would be the strongest 20-minute horror short ever made. There's just not enough to stretch it into a full-length movie. The acting was off. There's suspending disbelief, and then there's suspending disbelief on a Saw level. And I just, I couldn't get into it. I am fine never seeing it or thinking about Saw ever again. A Nightmare on Elm Street. This one and Child's Play were like my mid ones, and they took a hit. I only gave Nightmare a six, which is not, I don't feel good about that. But as we talked in depth, a little goofier than I like for horror movies. And I know not so much the first one, but just, you know, I'm unfairly judging it against how the rest of the franchise went. But it just doesn't resonate with me like a lot of other horror movie franchises are for a number of reasons. And I think Freddy Krueger, honestly, is overrated. So there, six. I don't know if that's a controversial statement or not. Nice enough guy. I, I, I saw him... Um... I didn't actually get to meet him in person, but at uh, one of the comic expos. <laughs> Freddy Krueger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was uh, he was here, and, and and he had his 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 uh, claw with him, and he was yeah. pictures, and you know, uh, it seemed like he was quite good with fans, and he's he's embraced that that character, oh, yeah. made his career. I, I think I, I think he's made a couple bucks. He's fine. He's good. Child's Play uh, again. Seven. Child's Play and uh, Nightmare suffered with your rating system. Unfortunately, I would have liked to give them more, but I had I to give the heavy hitters higher uh, higher scores. So yeah, Child's Play. I enjoyed it, but 
It's it's very mid on this list. Seven. Okay. Uh, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Eighteen. I had twenty originally, but that was just too high. <laughs> if I gave it twenty, I had to give like Nightmare and Child's Play like five and six. So I knocked it down a little bit. This was by far, by far my favorite movie of the six, and you really opened my eyes, making me rewatch this. And I would put this in probably my top five as of now horror movies of all time. Big That's fan. Great. Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Eighteen. That. You can't argue with that. And Halloween. Halloween, I matched with Friday the 13th with a solid 13. Probably deserves a little more, but just for me personally, the enjoyment is is pretty much the same as Friday the 13th. I could watch these two movies over and over and over. I'm a little more personally involved with Friday the 13th and just I love the Jason Voorhees character and I love the twists and turns that franchise would take. Compared to the Halloween one, I think I enjoyed Jason's path over the next 20, 30 years more than Michael Myers. But as we talked about, you can't poke holes in Halloween. It's an absolutely, it's a it's a flawless movie. Yeah, missteps along the way with some of the sequels for sure. But uh, I don't know, man. Halloween 3, I, I love that it's starting to get love. People are finally wrapping their brains around that. I thought that was such a like brave oh, way yeah. to go. Yeah, those aren't the missteps I'm talking about. But Okay, good. <laughs> I know so many people that hate that and like, oh, Michael Myers didn't kill any teenagers. It's like, yeah, but you missed it. They took a risk. This could have been like so much more than Michael Myers if that thing would have caught. Yeah, it didn't do as well. And, and so they went back to the, the franchise was Michael Myers. So. All right. My points are similar in some places, but mostly different than yours. I, I went back and forth on Friday the 13th. And so I'm going back to what I originally had for the points total to 12 points for it. And it's simply because it scared me the first time I saw it. I see lots of problems with it, but I like the climax of it and the formula they created um, made for very interesting movies along the way as far as a entire franchise so saw i was more generous i gave seven points to it it is horrifying what we're seeing it is a horror movie and it was a bit of a pioneer in torture porn but it is not a fun view and it is it really does not have a lot of redeeming qualities so i agree with you i gave a nightmare on elm street because of its creativity and creating one of the most iconic horror characters of all time a nine. Similar to you, with Child's Play, I gave a nine as well. I found those two to be kind of in the middle, but I, I want to pay both respect, and I, I do like revisiting uh, these movies, just maybe not as much as uh, some of the others. This is where you might be mad with me. Uh, I gave The Texas Chainsaw Massacre eight points. Uh, initially, I gave it less points than that, but then I, I kind of bumped it up because, again, similar type of argument to Saw, that it is horrifying happens it is a horror movie i find it dated i have problems with uh almost every single acting performance in the film but as far as script wise and what they set up there it it is a horror classic so i will agree with you on that but i can't honestly say that it's in my even my top 50 horror movies of all time and finally uh halloween i said uh, was my favorite of the six uh, i gave it 15 points I, I do like to spread the points around it wasn't completely that way this time but i gave it the most points i will revisit halloween more often than any of these other movies and jamie lee curtis and donald pleasance and john carpenter uh, and producer and writer deborah hill made a masterpiece in this particular genre they did borrow like all of these movies borrowed from some place or another but i i think it's uh it is a very worthwhile film and i don't think it has aged terribly so that's where we're at so 
As far as the totals go, the most points went to Halloween with 28. That's then fair. Followed by the Texas Chainsaw Massacre with 26. Third was Friday the 13th with 25 points. Child's Play got fourth place with 16 points. A Nightmare on Elm Street got 15, got fifth place. But clearly with 10 points, a movie that has to leave my movie shelf, ironically enough, you have it with you right now, is Saw. What do you want me to do with Saw? I think it's only fitting is uh, you find some night at your place of employment and find the custodian and ask him to take it to the dankest, darkest corner of like the boiler room or some scary room no one else goes to and just shove that thing in a corner somewhere. In true <laughs> Saw fashion, leave it on the floor of some gross, gritty room in the basement of, of your workplace and just let it sit there. And maybe years later, some uh, some kid will come across it. Eventually, I think that will happen. So Great idea. I will do that for sure. Again, thank you again for being on the show. And I uh, can guarantee, hopefully hopefully guarantee that you will be back uh, for a future episode. I would love to be back. Hey, here's Corky again. I can't even make out what that is. That's just the noise. <laughs> that one's harder. You, to let, you let me down, Corky. No one has listened to these tapes since whatever year this is. 1986. 1986 Playmates. They've survived. That's really cool that they've survived. So it's almost more terrifying that it's like <laughs> quirky. Uh, so again, I want to shout out Rank and Review, friend of the show, as well as another friend of our show uh, of the show, uh, Kurt Fitzpatrick, and his podcast, uh, A Lifetime of Hallmark, where he and some others review uh, Lifetime and Hallmark movies. Please uh, check those out wherever you uh, listen to your podcasts. Please uh, continue to uh, tell your friends about the Shelf Shedding Movie Show. You can, uh, of course, find it on iTunes and Spotify and Google Play and Stitcher and all those wonderful places. But uh, please share it with the movie fan in your life and really appreciate that. Uh, send feedback to me either through the Facebook group or through email. The email is shelf shedding movie show at gmail.com i look forward to hearing uh, some feedback on the show and uh, whether you agree with me or not or you agree with curtis or not uh, and as we end off again please be safe as covid continues i would encourage people to wear masks i know that's political so i don't want to get too deep into that and please please have a fun and safe Halloween in whatever uh, version of Halloween we have for uh, this odd year of 2020. Keep supporting the movies. Thank you.